I think sometimes marketers build stuff and they never pitch it themselves. And I think once you're actually in front of a customer and start to go through a deck you've built, you learn a lot. Oh, this is kind of clunky or like reading the room and seeing how people are reacting. You learn a ton from that process. And I always try to encourage my marketers to not just kind of build stuff behind the screen without really going out and testing it, get out at events to get that experience under their belt and really see how their messages are landing. Welcome to In-Depth, a show that surfaces tactical advice founders and startup leaders need to grow their teams, companies, and themselves. I'm Brett Burson, a partner at First Round, and we're a venture capital firm that helps startups like Notion, Roblox, Uber, and Square tackle company building firsts. On the In-Depth podcast, we share weekly conversations with startup leaders that skip the talking points and go deeper into not just what to do, but how to do it. Learn more and subscribe today at firstround.com. In today's episode of In-Depth, I'm really excited to be joined by Sarah Varney. Sarah is the Chief Marketing Officer at Attentive, a conversational commerce platform and mobile marketing solution. Before joining Attentive, Sarah spent four years as Twilio CMO, during which the company's annual revenue grew from $400 million to nearly $3 billion. She also spent 10 formative years at Salesforce, joining when the company was around 1,000 employees. She's held a bunch of roles in her time at Salesforce, including leading marketing and demand gen for SalesCloud, the company's flagship product. I found that startups often write off enterprise marketing altogether, assuming there aren't many lessons that can be applied to smaller budgets and headcounts. But Sarah makes the case there are plenty of playbooks worth studying from the enterprise space. In our conversation, we start by diving into the process for developing a corporate message that really stands out from the crowd, and how to evolve that message over time as the company grows. She takes us behind the scenes for all the steps involved in creating a tagline that shows up on your website and in your sales deck. Sarah also takes us back to when she first joined Twilio and how she assessed the effectiveness of its corporate message or if it needed some tweaking. Next, we zoom out for a wider look at senior marketing roles, including her tips for developing collaborative, not competitive relationships with sales counterparts. And we end on her advice for folks with their sights set on the CMO seat. Having spent significant time at two of the most impactful software companies in the SaaS era, Sarah's got tons of lessons that marketers of all stripes will want to lean on. And now my conversation with Sarah. One interesting place to start before we dive into things like messaging might be just to talk a little bit about what you think great marketing looks like in the context of an enterprise software business. I would say that great enterprise marketing doesn't look like what you think enterprise marketing should be. Some of the best enterprise marketing you see on the market actually looks a lot more like consumer. And the reason I think that marketing stands out is because there's a heavy focus on how you make someone feel and how you get to the crux of your message as quickly as possible. Often I will find myself not going to my competitors' websites or going to a company that's much larger than mine to see what they're doing. I'm going to consumer companies and thinking, what was it that made me click on that ad? What was it that made me open that email? 
Or what is it that makes me a super fan of that brand? And what are the little things they do day to day that add up to make me a fan for life? Is there an example that comes to mind that brings this to life where you found inspiration in another company and how you translated it to one of the businesses that you were working on or work that you did at a given company that makes it a bit more tangible? There's many. If I sat and thought about it for a while, I could probably give you 10 examples. But one that's recent that comes to mind, Glossier was in the news a lot lately because of all of the girl boss press. That might have been my first entry point into the brand. But I started going to their website, looking at their products. I really like their products. They have these natural looking cosmetics that it's like wearing makeup, but not wearing makeup which was up my alley and they really brought me in. They have a really nice aesthetic that's clean. It's easy to get to what you want. They do a good job of packaging up things in ways that I think are interesting and probably compel me to buy more. And then their communications is top notch. They actually, and I have to get an SMS plug in here, given that I'm focusing on SMS marketing software now, they engage you via SMS and they encourage you to save them as a contact. Right there, that brand goes from being just a brand to a contact in your phone that you're building more of a direct relationship with. And they're smart. They send me updates. I don't know the exact cadence, but they're not spamming me every day and just talking product. They're really trying to map what I've looked at on the site and then serving up interesting tips or interesting product that they know is going to be in line with generally the types of things that I've been looking for. So they're a brand that's getting it right right now. And There's a lot that you could think about from an enterprise context, even though I'm talking about D2C makeup, I guess they're getting more into stores now, but traditionally a D2C makeup brand, you might say, what does that have to do with enterprise software? But I think there's a ton to be learned from that in terms of really catering a message to your market and engaging them in a compelling way that gives value back to that customer. Is there an example from maybe your last longer stint at Twilio that translates that consumer idea and brings it to life in an enterprise context? I think that there are examples, these examples are probably more enterprisey, but I think the bones of that are similar to consumer in that we had a lot of developers come to our site and they were interested in Twilio, they had heard about the brand, but they didn't really know how to get started. And so we worked really hard to think about how can we look at what we think they are doing and surface up really relevant quick start content and quick start guides that aren't super prescriptive because developers don't want to be told what to do. They're creators. They want to be able to own their destiny, but still give them the building blocks and starting point to get a taste of Twilio, to see the magic of Twilio, and then be off into the races. So that's just one thing we spent a lot of time within the early parts of the customer journey and customer lifecycle fine-tuning because we knew if we could get them to write that minimum amount of code to see how Twilio could work in action, we would have developers that were really connected with us for a longer period of time. So maybe we could talk a little bit, because you're hitting on this, how you approach messaging. Maybe you could take us through an example, or maybe because you've had two really long stints, one at Salesforce, one at Twilio, and now you're ramping up at Attentive. Maybe in the context of what you're doing at Attentive, what that process looks like for you. Sure. I was really lucky to work at Salesforce and Twilio, both at really interesting points of their growth. I joined both of those companies when they were right over a thousand employees and less than 500 million in revenue. It was really interesting to see the corporate message evolve and change over the years and to see what it is today too. If you think about a company like Salesforce, obviously Mark is an incredible spokesperson for the company. He's 
one of four founders of the company, but the person that is super evangelical still to this day on stage and is just one of the best presenters in Silicon Valley. That message has definitely evolved over the years. When we started at Salesforce, the message was very centered around that. We used to call it the no software bug, but the sign that said software with a big red line through it, traditional 80s marketing. And that worked at the time because that was really what we were focused on most. How could we unseat the legacy software companies like Oracle and SAP at the time? As the company evolved and we moved from just selling Salesforce automation to service desk software, as well as marketing software, as well as analytics. I mean, Salesforce probably has 20 core products today. And the way that they were helping clients expanded dramatically from just helping sales teams and sales operations teams to really helping full companies transform their business. So the corporate message had to evolve with that. And now you see Mark talking about how business is the biggest platform for change and talking about how Salesforce enables you to connect your customers in new ways. And that was not a message that would have been as practical when they were just selling Salesforce automation software. It's just a natural evolution as the platform evolved that their message had to evolve with it. I'm going through a similar exercise here at Attentive. We primarily sell SMS marketing software to e-tail and e-commerce brands. Over time, I know that our product line and our platform will evolve to cater to more and more industries, to cater to more and more use cases. But I think you have to identify where are you in terms of product maturity, platform maturity, and to the extent that you can predict, you need to think about where you're going to go because you don't want to get over your skis and overpromise with what you're going to do, but you also don't want to box yourself in. I know for a fact, Attentive is not just going to do SMS marketing forever and ever. We are definitely expanding to more and more channels. I would be significantly boxing Attentive in if I were just focused on SMS marketing in terms of our corporate message. So I think you have to skate to where the puck is going in these scenarios and build a message that you think can last for the next three to five years, but not be so in the clouds and so visionary that people don't understand the core of your business. That's what the balance is that we've been trying to strike this year with Attentive. So we just did an advertising campaign this year starting in the March timeframe. We really wanted to position the category and to remind people of why text is such a powerful channel for marketers. We did a big out-of-home campaign and did some radio ads and used a couple different mediums to get the message across. But the crux of it, we had these billboards that said, you can't reply to a billboard. And the tagline was really simple. It just said, drive sales with text marketing. Because at this phase, for me, success is if someone's driving down the 101 going 70 miles an hour, do they at least remember what we do? Over time, we can evolve to tell the greater story of the full platform and what Attentive does. But at this point in time, it's just about general education for the market and reminding people why this new channel is something that everyone should pay attention to. The outcome is that piece of messaging. How do you get there? Can you talk about what your process looks like? I think there's a couple different things you need to go through to ultimately get to a message that you see in market. First off, you need to get buy-in from either the founding team or the CEO. Everyone thinks that they're a marketer, but I think a lot of CEOs would admit marketing is not my core discipline. But I think you definitely need to get them on board generally with what you're doing because they are likely to be one of your biggest spokespeople. And you need to think of a message that they can authentically deliver on a stage or in a press release or in front of a reporter or whatever it is. So I think it's really critical to get their buy-in as early as you can. I'm talking about a billboard, but when you're designing on a corporate message, I think a lot of it surrounds 
that mission statement. And the ad that I was just discussing is more of a byproduct of that than the heart of corporate messaging. I think a lot of it starts with that simple mission statement, who you are, what you would say in front of all hands to describe what the company does, what you would say at an industry event. That normally is the best place to start and make sure everyone's grounded in the same language. You've got to get the CEO buy-in from early on. I think you also want to get buy-in from the field. And a salesperson is going to more likely gravitate towards messaging that's realistic, that's something that's on the truck right now that they can sell. But you still want their input. Your mission statement is likely to be a little bit more lofty, but you want to make sure that it's not completely divorced from reality. A salesperson is not going to use a mission statement in a face-to-face customer meeting, but you also need to make sure that it's not so out there and built in an ivory tower that it's completely divorced from how your sales team is really talking about what you do as a company. The problem that you run into, you can go on and on forever and debate mission statements and corporate message. And I think it's really important to try and have some sort of forcing function. It could be an internal milestone. Maybe it's your sales kickoff. It could be an external milestone, like a third-party event. It could be a product launch where you need to update the boilerplate of your press release very tactically. But just create some sort of forcing function so that you've got to decide on some message in a certain point in time. Otherwise, you can just swirl on this forever and never really make progress. Once you set the deadline, what do you actually do? I guess I'm also curious when you talk about engaging the sales team or the go-to-market function as you're doing this, what are you actually doing? What are the conversations you're having? And then how does that ladder into who's actually working on the messaging and the iterative process to land on something that you can ship at a user conference or maybe a big press moment or what have you? Corporate message takes form in a number of different assets and vehicles. So I think once you generally decide on your corporate message, so let's say that that's mission statement. And then let's say it's at Salesforce, we used to call this your money slide. So it'd be like, this is what our platform does. And here are the four different components of the value prop. You can see that take shape in the way your homepage is structured. So big message on the top and the four sections underneath it might map exactly to that value proposition. It's probably going to take shape in your sales deck and your first call deck so that there's alignment there and your reps are kind of saying the same thing every day. It can take shape in ads. So if you're running a display ad campaign or a campaign on social, can you see that message in that set of ads? It could be in your press releases. It could be in the opening paragraph, attentive, the conversational commerce platform today announces getting that kind of language front and center in your outbound press work. Across the whole marketing mix, there's a number of different places where your corporate message will show up. And I think you have to decide what's the right altitude on your website, especially if you're selling to lower segments, it's going to be more in plain English. If you're giving a visionary keynote, it's going to be more lofty and more forward-looking. I think that that's where there's magic and art to it. You've got to figure out who's the audience, what do they need from this message right now, and how do I fine-tune it so that it all works together, but it's going to help drive whatever action I want. If it's getting investors and analysts excited at a more visionary keynote about the future of the company, that's a win. If it's on your website and you're just trying to get someone to click on the requested demo or talk to a salesperson button, that's a win too and takes a slightly different message. So do you just start workshopping these components in a Google Doc and go back and forth with a small group of people? What does it actually look like when you try to 
pull in these disparate ideas and land on actual language that achieves the goals? Yeah. If you have a definite moment in time where everything has to look exactly the same, a big cross-functional team where someone from every department of the marketing team is in the same room, as well as whoever the right external stakeholders are, external to marketing within your company, if that's sales enablement, sales leadership, making sure that everyone's marching to the same drum. And that's a key part of getting everyone on the same page. But I think on an ongoing basis too, it's good to have artifacts of what your corporate message is. Some people use messaging frameworks or messaging houses where you have your top level message and then it'll break out into different sub functions if it's based on how your platform shakes out. And there might be proof points underneath that and customer stories that feed each column within the messaging house. At Salesforce and Twilio, that was not common practice as much. I definitely have seen people that I've recruited from other companies bring that in. At Salesforce, and to a certain extent Twilio, because we had a lot of marketing DNA at Twilio from Salesforce, we kind of lived and died by that first call deck because it essentially operates as a messaging house, but it's much easier to go use that deck at a user conference and get real-time feedback as to, do you see a lot of nodding heads or people agreed with what you're saying? Or do you have a lot of people on their phone and not paying attention? That became our proxy and our artifact to say, if you have a question about how you should structure a web page or what the starter slide should be for any presentation, this is what you should refer back to. And this is something that will constantly refine and fine tune so that everyone's up to speed on the latest and greatest. And a first call deck is what a frontline sales rep would use when they're first engaging with a potential customer? Yes, that's right. I've seen first call decks that are 100 slides long, but I think ideally you want a short deck that in like 15 to 20 slides talks about what your company does, what's the pain they're solving, why they're especially good at it, and what customers are seeing success with with your products. So you mentioned this a second ago as it relates to how do you know if that material is resonating. But if you zoom out even a little bit more, you're trying to understand if your corporate messaging is achieving your goals or working. How do you diagnose that or figure that out? And maybe you could talk about you came into Attentive, which is a company that has been scaling for a while. So they had a corporate message. How are you coming in and deciding whether it's effective or not? There's a couple different ways. Some are way more tangible and some are a little bit more by feeling or more anecdotal. If I actually think back to my Twilio days, I have some examples that are really top of mind. But Twilio, we were put in this communications platform as a service category, which served us well in some ways, but didn't really tell the full story of what we did. And we definitely had ambitions to move more up the stack and to build more software on top of our core APIs. And so we probably my first year at Twilio decided to try and create this new category around customer engagement platforms because we felt like that naming and that messaging served what we did better. We started out on this journey. We started to deliver that message at our roadshow events. We did about 20 roadshow events a year. We started to do it at our user conference. We used it with press and analysts. But first, it's just hard to know how that's going to ultimately land. But over time, we started to see other companies pick that up. And we started to see that message show up on people's homepages. We started to see press actually talk about that. Slowly but surely, we started to see it wasn't just us that felt like this category was missing. There were other people in our surrounding spaces that felt that that was a better depiction of what we were doing in this middle layer of infrastructure. So that's more the anecdotal by feeling it's hard to go run a report in GA and get that data. But then I think 
very tactically, you can see just looking at what salespeople are using. I go into a high spot and if I have a deck that I've spent hours on and it only has three downloads, that's a sign it's not working for people because what happens generally is a salesperson finds a piece of content they use and then they tell their buddies or they're a you know leader of a team. They say, hey, this deck's great. You should use it. And if that's not taking off, that's a sign that something's wrong. I think you have to do your own internal push around it. I wouldn't just expect a salesperson to stumble upon stuff themselves. But I have plenty of examples of places where we did a full training and enablement and still saw a lackluster uptake for some content that we built. So if I do see things that aren't performing, I try to not just sit with the data, but actually get in front of sales and say, hey, what's working about this? What's not? I don't want to build content that is not useful to you because it's not a great use of our team's time. It's not a great use of your time. Just getting on the phone and walking through something with them. And also, I think sometimes marketers build stuff and they never pitch it themselves. And I think once you're actually in front of a customer and start to go through a deck you've built, you learn a lot. You learn like, oh, this is kind of clunky or again, reading the room and seeing how people are reacting. You learn a ton from that process. And I always try to encourage my marketers to not just build stuff behind the screen and without really going out and testing it. I really encourage, especially my product marketing team to get out at events, either first party or third party to get that experience under their belt and really see how their messages are landing. One of the things that you mentioned as it relates to messaging is this idea that at certain parts of the company's journey, you should probably be more literal or specific about what the product does or how it might help a customer. And then as the company matures, you tend to have the opportunity to do something that's a little bit more inspirational. I'm curious how you think about that or figure out when is the right time to elevate a given message. An example might be Peloton probably started with something like a fitness class in your house. And now it's probably something like we go farther together or whatever is the main thing that they're constantly talking about that fits into the arc of the company. Is there any other things you can share about what that looks like done well and maybe what it looks like not done well? Because we've all gone to a web page or seen someone present and you literally don't know what the product does. I just want to preface my answer on this question with, I worked both at Salesforce and Twilio, who generally started in the SMB mid-market space and evolved to sell more to enterprise. And so I don't know if my advice on how your message should evolve is more pointed towards moving from SMB to enterprise, or is just generally as your company becomes more and more mature, you move on from seeing the market with whatever you do to being more aspirational and lofty. But I'll say that when you think about how most enterprise software companies start, they start in the low end of the market. And when you're selling to SMBs, they have limited time, they have limited resources. You just want to, in plain English, tell the customer what you do, tell them why it'll drive value for their business and give them access as quickly as possible to try your product or buy it. In that world, the name of the game is all about simplicity and being super clear. But as you evolve over time and you sell to larger and larger customers, you have stakeholders who are motivated by different things. They are tasked more often with broader company-wide projects. They're asked to look to technology to help transform a company and to bring it to its next chapter of growth. And they also are working on projects that aren't just a month long or 90 days long. They could be multi-year projects. And so in that sense, you need to be communicating in a way that gives that buyer confidence that not only do you have a great product today, but you're also going to be a partner that 
they can rely on that your technology is going to be future proof. So three years from now, when whatever pops up, if it's machine learning or if it's IoT or if it's Web3, you're going to be thinking about all these different dimensions that might come their way. And so as you evolve and think about selling to a more sophisticated customer, your message has to evolve with that transition. Can you maybe explain a little bit more about what you think are the differences between marketing to an SMB audience and marketing to an enterprise audience? Yeah. When you're marketing to an SMB audience, they are more in the weeds and the speeds and feeds, as we sometimes say, of what a product does. They just want to make sure that if they're going to your product and it's, let's say, cheaper than the competition, that they're not going to lose any functionality in that transition. They're definitely going through the checkbox exercises to make sure that your product is just going to work for them. Obviously, enterprise customers want to make sure your product works too, but they are thinking more from a solution mindset. They might have to bring multiple departments together to use your solution. They might have different hierarchies of people within their company that they need to use your solution for with managers and ICs and roles and permissions and hierarchies and all the things that come with a company that is larger and larger they're going to be more focused on how all these things work together. And then they also want to know that your technology is going to be able to grow with their needs. It can be a big deal to bring a new software product to a company. It can be a big bet for someone's career. And they want to make sure that if they're taking their company down that path, if they get 18 months into a project and something new comes their way, your technology is going to be able to handle that request. That's why having a more visionary message, having a more long-term view into your roadmap is really important when you go and sell to enterprise customers because they can't just look at what exists today and take that as gospel. They've got to be thinking much further ahead. How did these ideas map, if at all, into category modification or category creation? Twilio is a great example of this. We traditionally had sold communications APIs to developers. Twilio's core use cases in the beginning were alerts and notifications for general tasks that you do day in and day out. So you're trying to transfer money for Bank of America. Bank of America will send you a 2FA code so that you can verify your account and be off into the races. But over time, we started to see our customers use Twilio in all different parts of their company. And when it came to things like customer service, it was important that all of those APIs were connected to each other so that people could understand what was happening in all different parts of the customer journey. And so at that point in time for Twilio, we really evolved from just a communications API message to more of a full platform for customer engagement so that at any point in a customer's life cycle, you could understand, all right, we sent them this 2FA notice today for transferring funds. We also sent them an invite for a webinar via email. We sent them a notification for upsell for a savings account. And now they could see that all in one central platform and be able to get a full view of their customer. And so as we move to provide more of that functionality for our customers, our message had to evolve with it because just talking about individual developer APIs wasn't as relevant to the types of customers that we were talking to that were further up market. And you touch on this a little bit, but as a marketer, what are the indications or what are you looking for that it's time to make that transition? As your software becomes more and more pervasive at an organization, and just very practically that the amount of money that any company is spending with you 
increases, that is going to draw more attention from people higher up the chain at these organizations. And those people are motivated by different things. The CFO is going to be motivated by making sure that they're getting the best price if they're using the software all over the company. The CIO is going to want to make sure that it's efficient in terms of how it works with all of their other systems and doesn't create more overhead. It's just important to be really mindful of that as you're evolving into a more enterprise-grade company and how you're arming your original stakeholders too, I think is super important. The people that were the original fan boys or girls for your company, equipping them with the right justification for why the higher-ups should sign off on the budget or the ongoing expense of the software is super important in making sure that you continue to grow relationships more and more up market. Was customer engagement a category that already existed that Twilio grabbed a hold of, or did you create the category in some way? Customer engagement's not that exotic of a word. Like people were using it here and there, but it wasn't used attached to a platform name. So you would see customer relationship management platforms, but customer engagement platforms was a new category that we started to seed and started to see other players in the communication space that operated more up the stack start to adopt over time. Even Zoom, I think, is using that messaging today. What was the process to land on wanting to push really hard on customer engagement? Was it immediately obvious or was there a range of directions you were thinking about going? Going back to where we started this conversation, I think we wanted to define ourselves within a category that showed where we were going and where our roadmap was pointed without being too far afield from what we actually do. And a big factor in this too is developers are very cynical to any corporate speak or messaging. And we did a lot of testing through our developer evangelists and with our developer community directly to say, are these words that are like nails on a chalkboard for you? We threw out a couple of different iterations and configurations of things in this vein to really nail what we ended up with. And also the analyst community and software is a big contributor to some of these discussions too. And they were a good sounding board for us too, as we thought about what we wanted to do and how we wanted to evolve. How do you think about competition or marketing and messaging in competitive categories versus less competitive categories? I think it makes you work harder and really think about your differentiation. If you're a category of one, First off, you can be a little bit of a lazier marketer, but you also might want to ask if you're a category one, why is that? Like, are people not glomming on to the category you've chosen in the first place? Sometimes having a competitor is the best fuel, not just from a marketing perspective, but for a company. You got to make sure you're not just chasing your competitor everywhere they go. But I think it makes everyone much more crisp on what your true differentiation is. And that takes shape in messaging and how you talk about things on your website, how you equip your sales team with the right angles to really win. But it also helps shape your roadmap too. Like, all right, are we just building everything that the competition has? Or do we really have a good percentage of a roadmap dedicated to things that are going to help us pull away from the pack? Sometimes people are like, oh man, I'm in this competitive category. This is terrible. There's people coming from all sides. I actually, as a marketer, love having clear competition because I think it forces clarity and it pushes the team to really think outside of the box of how you can stand out. On the articulating points of differentiation, do you think that's easy and intuitive when you're at a given company? Everyone knows it and it's obvious and then you're just trying to find the right language for it? Or do you have to be a detective as a marketer to try to figure out maybe there are things that a sales leader or product leader 
doesn't think are meaningful points of differentiation, but actually can be or can be packaged in a certain way? I think it can completely vary company to company and category to category. It also can change over time. So you might have a clear set of differentiators and then six months down the road, you wake up and realize that the competition has caught up on certain fronts. And then you've got to think about what do we have that's new or how do we tweak things in a different way to still stand out? Because even though I say having a competitor makes you less lazy as a marketer, there are some marketing groups that just copy whatever the competition is doing. And so you've got to continue to figure out ways that, first off, if they're not being truthful about what they're doing, and there's a lot of gray area here. I'm not saying even people are doing anything illegal, but maybe they're overstating or being hyperbolic with how they're positioning things. You have to, wherever you can, prove your differentiation with metrics or stats or customer testimonials that make it unquestionable that you are the leader in your space or you're the leader for A, B, and C reasons. There's no better way to solidify your position than by backing it up with real, true customer feedback and making sure you've got even like pictures of people and their titles. All of that just makes it more and more real for the audience and makes it undeniable. So switching gears just a little bit, what have you learned about having the most productive relationship with your sales counterpart? What does it look like when it's high functioning? And what are the traps or issues or friction points that tend to emerge between a sales function and a marketing function? The first thing I always try to do with my sales counterpart is to level set on how we think about driving pipeline and leads for the business. And I think sometimes people get too wrapped up in inbound versus outbound, and that's the only way we're going to look at the world. So if the inbound number is not where it's at, marketing's all idiots. If the outbound number is not where it is, the salespeople are being lazy or whatever it is. I think you have to come at it as this is a team effort. And if we're not hitting our number, the combined number overall, we've both failed. That's like mindset I like to start with because I think unless you're like a 99% self-service business, which there are some out there, it's generally a team sport and enterprise software. I just try to level some numbers. In the past, where I have seen people go sideways is where there's the debate about, oh, marketing produces leads, but they're not high quality. And then marketing gets mad because sales doesn't follow up on leads. And so I hate getting into those kind of conversations. I think they're distracting and you, at the end of the day, don't make a ton of progress. I also just think every sales leader is a little bit different. And this is advice I give working with any type of exec or employee is, what motivates this person at the end of the day? Are they a look at the dashboard every couple hours type of sales leader? Are they more of a larger enterprise deal kind of person that likes to figure out all the relationships? Are they transactional? Figuring out those types of personality traits early on is important too, because you can't be a successful marketer as a lone wolf. You absolutely need your sales leader to help drive the programs that you're trying to drive. You can't just expect to send an email out to a whole sales team and have them do the five things that you want them to do. Like it's absolutely got to be enforced through sales leadership at the very top and through the organization, whether that's RVPs or country leads or whatever it is. A key part in getting your sales counterpart excited is understanding what motivates them and how they found success to get to the point where they are. Those are going to be the types of programs that are going to resonate with them and that they're going to be more likely to ultimately back for you. And so over time and working with a number of different sales leaders at this point, I found that that is the fastest way to success and ultimately to get the optimal results at the end of the day. 
when you join a new company or maybe there's a new CRO that joins, do you just sort of go out to lunch and have an open-ended conversation or is there some structure or things that you like to do to set the relationship on the best footing? I definitely set up a regular cadence of meetings. It's a weird time right now where I work for a New York-based company, and so we get together quarterly right now as an exec team in person, which is great. But in the absence of being able to do that on a day-to-day basis, I definitely set up a regular one-on-one, even remotely, just to make sure that we're on the same page. And we're not always in the same meetings, but we'll be in meetings with our respective team members sometimes. I use that time to just make sure we're all on the same page and that everyone's hearing the same thing. I don't try to over-engineer it. It bums me out to hear the traditional sales and marketing don't get along. Like I come at it from, of course, this thing's going to work out perspective because it's got to or else you're going to be not long for the world of whatever company you're at. I try to shelve all the preconceived ideas of how sales and marketing get along or don't get along and look at the person and say, how can I help this person? What motivates them? What is their team makeup like? And how can I think about the right set of programs that are ultimately going to line up to that and drive the most success for Attentive? Outside of the comment you made about a one-on-one with your revenue counterpart, are there other rituals or meetings or things that you do as a CMO that you found have an outsized impact? Yeah, I think sometimes CMOs get a reputation for just caring about how things look and making sure that they have a great event that people talk about, but they're not as tied to the numbers. And so I really try early on when I join a company to figure out what's the smallest amount of metrics I can get a handle on that will motivate the biggest part of my team. And then how can I bake that into every team meeting I have, every all hands I have? I socialize that with my sales counterpart so that they understand how I'm measuring my side of the business and make sure that's just front and center to everything we do. I write up a virtual QBR doc every quarter that goes through top to bottom of funnel, how our performance was, how our pipeline efficiency is. So for every dollar we spend, how much pipe are we getting back? And I really try to be religious about that so that I'm inspecting all sides of the business. Obviously a huge byproduct of that is that my team's got to sweat those numbers on a day-to-day basis. I want everyone waking up and thinking about what is their part of the funnel that they're owning and really thinking about driving and what is the day-to-day activity that they're working on so that when we come around to next quarter, those numbers look better. I've always tried to lead with numbers and be a bit of a broken record on what we're measuring. On that point about numbers, maybe in the case of Attentive, can you talk through what are the smallest amount or fewest metrics that will motivate the largest part of the team? What are the metrics you landed on at Attentive, for example, and what's the why behind them? I look at site traffic. I look at our MQLs, marketing qualified leads. I look at our sales qualified leads. And then I look at pipeline. Like if I had to get it down to the smallest number, that would be the four that I look at. And web traffic is obviously a sign of awareness. You can get more granular on traffic, looking at things like direct traffic. So people that are just typing in attentive.com is a good proxy for brand awareness and something that we've looked at a lot this year as we've done more brand work. Organic traffic is really important to look at too, as you think about your content and how your SEO is working relative to the competition. So when I'm double claiming with my content team, I'll go deeper on web traffic, but, but at all hands, I just look at overall web traffic. And I always like to look at year over years because I think quarter over quarter can be noisy just based on any kind of seasonal trends in your business. That's web traffic, marketing qualified leads, anyone who's filling out a lead form on your website for, let's say, a content offer. 
or a demo. And within marketing qualified leads too, if I'm going deep with my growth team, I will look at not just overall marketing qualified leads, but also what are the golden motion or what is their most high quality lead? I won't just look at overall marketing qualified leads, which could be a mix of like eBooks and webinar invites. And there's a mix of quality within marketing qualified leads. I also really try to break out the leads that we know are highest converting. So for us, request a demo is one of our leads that we treat most seriously because it shows a high level of intent. And so I want to make sure that that number in particular is super healthy as we look at things over time. And then sales qualified leads is just looking at of the marketing qualified leads, where was their actual interest and budget? And are these people actually ready to be put into more of a formal sales cycle? And then I look at pipeline because you could drive up the lead number, but it might not be for the right segments that you want. So I think it's also really important to have a pipeline number that you're tracking to. SQLs will be your measure of quantity and then pipeline to a certain extent will be a measure of quality. Those are the four buckets I look at on a regular basis. And I also look at conversion points in each of them to identify if we have a bunch of web traffic, but it's not converting to MQLs. Is there something wrong with our offers? Is there something wrong with the way we're capturing leads? I'll look at the conversion of MQLs to SQLs. If there's a drop off there, sometimes there's an issue with inside sales productivity. Sometimes you'll see it flux based on the timing of the quarter and what other activities sales is doing. So I do look at the conversion points between each of those two. Are those metrics that you are religious about, would they be the same as the types of things that you worked and watched very closely at Twilio or are they different in some way? They are largely the same. I'd say the other factor at Twilio, we had a self-service funnel with developer signups where someone might express interest in Twilio. They might be playing around just learning what it is, but they weren't a true enterprise buyer or didn't have a true project for sometimes months, sometimes years down the road. We would definitely monitor developer signups as a separate thread. So that was the one addition. And then we tried to figure out what are the signals where we see a developer sign up ultimately turning into more of a marketing qualified lead and then a sales qualified lead. What do you think are some of your less consensus opinions about marketing in an enterprise context or more controversial beliefs that you figured out? One, when we started the conversation was that you tend to be much more gravitated to consumer marketing and think that that's actually quite similar to great enterprise marketing. Are there other things that you have developed really strong beliefs around over the course of your career or maybe changed your mind about over the course of your career? There are a few things. Speaking to the messaging conversation that we had earlier in this session, sometimes people think they can only have one message and it's got to be repeated everywhere, no matter what. And I think that makes it so that you solve for the middle and you end up with a watered down corporate message. And I think it's perfectly okay to have one message that you say at a keynote or in front of a reporter or in front of an analyst that's more visionary, and then have a message that you would say across the table to a customer that's not as maybe lofty or visionary, but is still not divorced from that high level message. But Salesforce used to have this messaging around connecting to your customers in new ways and customer success platform. I would go on calls with salespeople and it's just not the exact language they're going to use in front of a customer because it's too formal, honestly, for the day-to-day. The customer just has real questions about what a CRM platform could do in more plain English. And so I think some people get religious that if you're going to say customer success platform at whatever forum... That's got to be drilled into your sales team too. And I personally don't think that that's the way the world works. And I think people are afraid to say that. That's one thing. Another thing that 
evolved over time, but I still think is really important is PR. I've seen this on every team that I've worked on. It's not the easiest thing to measure, but I think it can be super powerful as you're building a brand. I think it can be super powerful as you're building an employer brand too. I think the world has moved on from the standard press release, put it on the wire at 5 a.m. and expect articles to rain from the sky. I think it's a much different market these days in terms of thought leadership and content. And there's more dimensions to it than just the standard launch and repeat. But I think that that is an area that it's sometimes hard to get executive buy-in for, but I still think it can be a huge lever as you're trying to see to market and make a name for yourself. A couple areas I wanted to bounce around to end our conversation. One is, what have you learned about the difference between being, let's say, for simplicity's sake, a VP of marketing versus a CMO? What I mean by that is a CMO being a member of the executive team versus a VP of marketing who's a senior marketer. I would say that you can't just stay in your box and be like, I'm only going to understand the marketing world. When you're a CMO and are part of the exec team, you've got to understand the nuts and bolts of your business. You have to understand how all the components work together, how certain business lines have P&Ls attached to them, how budgeting works as a company overall, because it will influence how you think about the way you set up your programs within the department. I think it's also important when it comes to hard decisions, like we're all living in markets that are tough right now, they're challenging. You have to think about how do I message back to my team, why we're making the decisions we were making as a company. And if you have the broader worldview of how all the pieces fit together, you're way better equipped to deliver that message in your team rather than just being focused on your area and being like, why are they hiring salespeople and not more marketers? As a VP of marketing, it's easy to be woe is me. And I think as a CMO, you've got to be more of a corporate team player and be able to communicate that balance to your team to keep them motivated. How did you figure that out? Or was there a formative experience that shaped that transition for you? Over time, there were patterns that I started to see where at first you take things personally. At Salesforce, for example, they've got a very well-established formula about how adding AEs can drive revenue. And so at first, if marketing wasn't getting funded to the way I thought it should be, it was easy to take it personally and be like, well, no matter what the formula says, if I was doing a good job, I'd get more resources. It's easy to get that mindset. Over time, as you see the benefit of that approach, and then also that it happens not just to your team or other teams or whatever, you become... I don't want to say desensitized to it because you should still lobby for the resources that you think you need, but you take it less personally and realize this is for the greater good. I'm a shareholder of this company too, and I want the company to ultimately be successful. And it can't always be this keeping score mentality because that's not going to get you anywhere. When I took those situations and showed that I could still be resourceful, that I wasn't like, I can't do that because I don't have enough people. I can't do that because I need three times the budget and figured out the best solution I could with the resources I had. That helped me move up in my career and helped me get promotions over time. That was also personally motivating to realize that your bosses are there to help you through problems. But if they're asking you to do something, you're constantly saying, well, I can't do that because of this issue or that issue, and you're not being solution oriented, it's going to be hard for you to grow. And I think through the course of some of the growth spurts at Salesforce and Twilio and now Attentive, I've just tried to keep that mindset in place and to hopefully lead by example and motivate my team to do the same. Building on that, when you think about up and coming marketers, what advice do you have for them if they at some point in their career want to be a CMO? Maybe the advice could orient around smaller things that they consider doing 
or little actions or little areas to focus on that might have some outsized impact on their path to be a CMO? If there are people in the audience that are looking to be a CMO, I would think about taking on some side projects that expose you to new parts of the marketing mix. Like most marketers come up through one particular function. And when you step into a CMO role, you're not just going to be a product marketer or not just a demand gen person. You're asked to really cover the full marketing mix. So sometimes people are like, oh, I don't want to sign up for that project. It's not in my jurisdiction. But it's often some of those side projects where you learn the most and you're really challenged to take on a new skill. And I'd also say sometimes you've got to move laterally and people don't love to do that. But when I moved from my app exchange role to my role at desk.com, the desk.com role was certainly more risky. Abitchain was not going anywhere. It's still very much part of Salesforce and desk.com was a riskier proposition, but I knew in taking that role, I was going to be forced to operate as a mini CMO. I had to learn lead gen and digital marketing overnight. I had to learn how to work with a direct sales team overnight because I had just worked with partners up until that date. There's a lot of scary parts about that, but I always say, Making that move was probably the best prep I ever had for ultimately being a CMO, even more so than running the biggest product line at Salesforce because I own the full mix and I had to learn things overnight and push myself. Well, thanks so much for spending this time with us. This was awesome. Yeah, thanks for having me. 